Hello, welcome to Boss Woman, a podcast about women, comedy, and business. My name's Katie, and this is my mum, Karen. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, Mama said. Mama said, Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, my Mama said. How are you? I am fine. <laughs> Good. Thank you for asking. No, I'm absolutely fine. You're in your final two weeks. How do you feel? Final two weeks of isolation. I know, I know. Um, I think I'm going to run down the, the road naked once. Yeah. <laughs> However, probably not a very good idea. Who do we have today, Karen? Well, I am so happy to have the wonderful Joe Brand. Joe Brand is a comedian, writer, presenter and actress. Joe started out as a psychiatric nurse before moving into stand-up comedy in the mid-80s. Joe has created and co-written the TV series Getting On, Winning a BAFTA, and the, the follow-on series Going Forward. She has written four novels and two parts of her, of her autobiography. Joe is currently presenting The Great British Bake Off, The Extra Slice, and can I say that I think she has become a national treasure? <laughs> what can I say? But welcome, Joe. Welcome, Joe. Thanks so much for being here. Not at all. Thank you very much for having me. National <laughs> disgrace, if you don't mind. <laughs> well, national treasure slash disgrace. Yes. <laughs> How are you, Joe? How are you doing in yeah. quarantine I'm, times? I'm I'm good, thanks, Katie. Um, I'm at home with my husband and my children who are teenagers, so they keep us entertained with their cheery dispositions. <laughs> God, it must be hard for them as teenagers being going through all this. How's it been? Oh, I think it's really, really difficult, yeah. Um, I mean, they're, considering they're doing pretty well, really, and actually, um, you know, when they're a bit sneery, I just treat that as a bit of stand-up comedy or I write <laughs> it down and then I write five minutes about it. So it's all useful. Yeah, very, very useful, exactly. Let's go back to your childhood and uh, it would be fab to hear a bit more about your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up? Uh, well, I was born in South East London, which is where I've ended up. Uh, but, um, I, and I only lived in South East London until I was about four. And then I was brought up in a, in a village in Kent, which was like the total opposite. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, um, it was nice. It was. My parents met each other at the Young Socialists. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Erico, that's why you're, you're um, very political. Well, it was either that or end up married to Nigel Farage, wasn't it? Really? <laughs> I think if you've got very left-wing parents, you either go totally the opposite or yeah. you go along with them. So right thankfully, yeah, I went along with them. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so where you were brought up in Kent, was it a nice guard, the Garden of England type? It was. It was the Weald of Kent. So it was surrounded by hop fields. It was very picturesque and... Um, we lived in a village where there was a very posh girls' school called Benenden School, where Princess Anne went to school. Mm. And I didn't go there, I'm pleased to say. I went to the village school on the green. Us plebs were allowed up the school in the school holidays to use their pool. Oh! Um, yeah, always did, our best, always did our best to have a little whittle in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what about siblings? Uh, two, uh, two, I was the middle child. I had two brothers. Um, uh, one was like um, 18 months older than, and the other was two years younger. So we were very close to each other. So I was forced to do climbing trees, liking football, fighting. <laughs> yeah. Did they tease like... you dreadfully? Huh? Did, did they, they tease you dreadfully? Uh, yeah, they did. Uh, very, very badly. I got my own back on them quite a few times. My favourite being... Um, I once trod in a wasp's nest in the woods and they came zzz, like swarming out. Mm -hmm. My brothers ran one way and I ran the other way and they chased my brothers and stuck <laughs> really badly. <laughs> Great. Well, <Yeah>. well deserved. <laughs> yeah. I had four brothers, so I know exactly what it's like. Yeah. Did you have sisters? No. Oh, no, no there you go then. Yeah. yeah. I had, I had a half-sister once, uh, you know, when I was growing up. But yeah, uh, so I didn't grow up with a sister, but I 
four brothers, which was hard work because they were so wild and all over the place. And, mm -hmm. you know, actually, I always stood in goals. When <laughs> Did you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it does. It really toughens you up, I think, if you've just got brothers, though. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Makes you very bossy, Karen. <laughs> that, is, that is why I'm so bossy and I shout. That's why I'm so loud because I couldn't get heard at home. Yeah. yeah. So what was your personality like, Joe? Were you quite loud or what were you like at school? And Well, I'd say up until about the age of 13 or 14, I was very nice. <laughs> I was kind of quiet. I was studious. I never misbehaved. Um, you know, in those days, I was at school in the 60s, if you, if you actually misbehaved, you got you know, sort of fairly severely whacked by yeah. the headmaster. And mm -hmm. um, our particular headmaster was a terrible bully. And unfortunately, he was very good friends with my mum and dad. So that oh, made it even worse in a way. God. So he would like hit one of my brothers and then come around for tea. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> I know it was very, very weird. But, oh, um, God. Yes, yeah, so that's why you were well behaved. It is. We were all well behaved until it went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God. What, um, was your mum and dad strict with you then? They were very strict. I mean, my mum particularly had kind of very sort of high expectations of us. She didn't put up with any. I mean, she said to me once that she thought ninety percent of crying when you're a toddler is manipulative. So. She never ever put up with us crying. So oh consequently, God. hard as nails. She never felt any empathy when you when you first start crying. That didn't work. Oh God, no, no, none at all. None mm. at all. And she was a social worker with children. So <laughs> my God, yeah. yeah. She's very good at her job, actually. Did you have a close relationship with your mum? Oh, yeah, I got on very well with my mum. She wasn't really like other people's mums. You know, other people would say to me, oh, I did some knitting with my mum tonight or, you know, my mum's doing embroidery or, oh, no, my mum doesn't read the newspaper. She likes women's magazines. That was the 60s for you. Whereas <laughs> my mum was like the polar opposite of that. You know, we would have political discussions, um, you know, over meals and um, she was kind of a you know, a very sort of committed feminist for the time um, and quite bolshy. And, um, you know, she was great, actually. She was mm. just very different from everyone else. But she loved she loved an argument. So, uh, <laughs> you know, she, she wouldn't kind of stand back and, and give way. She was, you know, she's great. Yeah. And what was her relationship like with your father? Well, I mean, it was good when it started, which, let's face it, is how most marriages start off. But yeah, of how they finish is another matter. And I would say that the main problem was that my dad wanted her to be a stay-at-home, do the cooking. Yeah, it doesn't sound wife. like she was one of those. <laughs> she certainly wasn't. And she wanted to be a go-out. He was very antisocial, and she loved socialising. They had so many kind of points of dispute really in their relationship so they they split up um when I was about 13 or 14 I suppose they separated and my mum mm. went backwards and forwards for a bit and then they finally um split up properly round about when I was 17 or 18. A difficult yeah. years for you for, to have a split up in the family I mean these are difficult years for you yeah, I mean, it was it was worse, really, because of my dad, because my dad suffered from depression and he um, he had a terrible temper and he wouldn't go and get any help because he was too embarrassed about it. So well, you didn't in those days, did you? No, you just especially if you're a bloke. Yeah, you didn't even talk about it. You know, you just kind of got on with it and punched the neighbours now and again. <laughs> um, so he was yeah, he was yeah, he was a handful, my dad. And um of course, when I became a teenager, he was, it was even worse because I wanted a bit of freedom and he didn't want me to have any at all. So. Yeah. And did you live with him or did you live with your mum during, or was, are you, you were still in the family home then? Your mum. Uh, we were just about. And um, I had a boyfriend who they hated and my dad actually did knock him out twice. Oh, no. uh, I, don't know, yeah, I don't know why he came back the second time. But anyway. <laughs> um, and... Um, 
they were on the point of, they'd already split up and my mum had come back once, I think. But um, yeah, they, uh, they threw me out basically okay. when I was 16, when I was still at school. And mm -hmm. um, yeah. And where did you go? Did you go? <laughs> well, I moved, I, I moved into a bed sit in Hastings because we'd moved to Hastings by then. Mm -hmm. And um, the school I was at let me go back one day a week to do my A-levels and I got a job. Wow. I know, it's a bit weird. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's quite strange. That's amazing though, Joe. That is yeah. brilliant. I know. I Well, I wish. I got a job in the civil service, so that wasn't brilliant. <laughs> no, um, but You know, it, it worked for me. Yeah. You getting your O-levels, presumably that got you to uni or didn't it? Well, I got my A-levels. It was A-levels, but... Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I didn't do very well in them, to be honest, but that was only to be expected because I was yeah. out partying quite a lot, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and I didn't go to university till I was 21. I had a few years sort of in between just working and trying to get a bit of money together. Yeah, yeah. So what... during all... Sorry, Katie, but during all this time, were you fighting with your mum? No, I mean, I was kind of... After I left home, I was incommunicado with my mum for probably two years um, mm -hmm. because I think she felt that um, you know she had to be loyal to my dad for a, you know through the whole thing and I, I know I really annoyed her as well because I wouldn't <laughs> behave myself so um, yeah. I, I always felt underneath you know that um, we would we would patch it up and sort it out and we did mm -hmm. eventually of course yeah yeah and yeah. so you were I mean both of them are dead are they uh, no, my dad died about two years ago, and my mum's still around, yeah. Oh, that's good. And are yeah. you close now? Yeah, we are. She moved to Ludlow to get away from us, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we're still... Oh, yeah, we're, we're very close, yeah. So yeah. I speak to her a lot, yeah. And so during your teenage years, was there anything that you were interested in? Did you start in, like... Were you drawn towards nursing or like what, what were you kind of into when you were a teenager? I think I liked smoking when I was <laughs> a teenager. Yeah. And I liked going to the pub. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny, when I was a teenager, I didn't really think about the future at all, you know, yeah. because it was so disrupted in the family. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, I was going to say that in the 60s, you could always get a job. There was never any, you never, when you were young, you could get a job you know, in a shop or anything. Oh, yeah, anywhere, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it definitely. It wasn't hard, you know. Yeah, it was so, It was very easy. So, um, yeah, I, I worked for a couple of years before I went to university. And um, at university, I decided I didn't want to do a kind of purely academic course because I thought I couldn't put up with that because I didn't really like school that much. Um, and so I did a joint uh, degree and nurse training at the same time. So that was like six months of each year spent training in a psychiatric hospital and the other six months at university. It's perfect for That's me. That's great, yeah. So it's like best of both worlds. Was that at Brunel University? It was at Brunel, yeah. Yeah, that's where I went. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same All the best people went there, Katie. <laughs> yes, I no, think Lee Mack went there as well. Yeah, as I know. Greg you Davis, did. so. You've got plaques on the wall there then. <laughs> Well, I don't know. We've got statues of us in the pond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, well, I think Katie loved Brunel, didn't you, Katie? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I must have been, it would have been different then, but I, the thing I loved about Brunel was that it, it's now in Oxbridge and it was a campus, you name. So everything was all in one place, which I thought was great. But also it was good for the course that I was going for. And also- Which course did you do? I did industrial design, so product design. Right. I was- you know, from Edinburgh and thought that I was moving to the dizzy heights of London and then it's <laughs> in the greater London and it takes two hours to get into London. So I know, tell me <laughs> it about wasn't it. the same, but it was a good course. How did you enjoy university? Uh, yeah, I had a really, really brilliant time. I loved it there. And um, yeah, Uxbridge is a bit of a weird place. Um, Very weird. Where it is, you know. And it's Boris Johnson's constituency, isn't it? Oh, no, uh, it's not, is it? What more can you say? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, you know. I remember was... Katie had a horrible uh, flat house, a tiny well, house. full of rats, but, you know. Yeah, it was full of rats. Where was it? Where was it your was flat? Right next to the university on... 
I have no idea what the road's called. It was literally a two-minute walk, but it was pretty much on campus. Oh, um, okay. It was well, really... It was like on the walk from the university into town. Oh, I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah that big, long road, yeah. Well, and I, it, my favourite flat that we had was we had a flat at one year in West Drayton, mm -hmm. uh, and it was over a fish and chip shop. And... Um, <laughs> So like, you know, heaven. Uh, but also the, when we moved in, the landlord came, came round to just check everything was all right. And he said, my son wants to come and stay here every weekend on a camp bed in your front room. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Is that included in the agreement? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. that didn't happen, thankfully. But occasionally okay. we would come down in the morning and his entire extended family would be in our kitchen drinking tea at Oh my god! I know, and it was a good fun. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I loved it. Was it university that got you interested in comedy? Um, was it university? I don't know really. I think I already wanted to do comedy by then, really? in a very in a very abstract sense, which was not to do with what a great life it is being a comedian, because I didn't know. Yeah, about it, but more it's good. It's great um, to make people laugh. Really, mm -hmm. I think I think an amateur therapist would say because my dad was suffering from depression. I just wanted to cheer him up. Really, mm -hmm. was your were, were your parents very proud of you going to uni? Um, not really. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't know. Well, really, expected it of you by the sound of it. Well, I th actually, the interesting thing is that actually my, when I was at, um, I used to go to grammar school um, when I lived in Benenden, Tunbridge Wells Grammar School for Girls. You can imagine what that was like. <laughs> I yeah. didn't, really, didn't fit in there at all. But um, I was kind of on track to do the Oxbridge thing. Mm -hmm. And because my mum and dad moved um, and we you know, I, I went to a different school, which is why it all went wrong, because I sort of was really unhappy at the new school. Um, and subsequently, I found out that actually my mum gave up a place at Oxford to get married to my dad. Oh, so wow. I know. So there was obviously some weird thing going on with, with them yeah. that they kind of wanted me to sort of do the Oxbridge thing. And so obviously, not doing Oxbridge and going to Brunel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, And but tell us about the course at uni. Did you enjoy it, and did you see yourself going into that as a career? Um, well, yeah, I did. I mean, I I really love nursing. Um, I think the thing about nursing is that um, you know a lot of nurses feel very frustrated um, because they have the brains and the will. To, yeah. to do much more challenging stuff. And a lot of the time, they were just kind of treated like doctor's handmaidens, you know, go and get us a cup of tea. And ironically, when I, when I worked in the emergency clinic, a lot of the time, it would be nurses telling junior doctors what to do because, yeah. because yeah. they were new and we'd been their donkey's years. So they'd be going, well, shall I give 100 milligrams of chlorpromazine? And we'd go, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. we were getting paid a third of their salary. So all that sort of thing seemed mad to me. Yeah. Um, so I think I kind of felt I'd like to do something sort of a bit more intellectually challenging. But all the time, I loved the job while I was there. Yeah. 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 And did you, but did you start performing whilst you were at uni or was that, was it later? No, I started performing when I was a nurse um, and I started, I'd been qualified for two years and worked at the hospital where I trained for two years. Mm -hmm. um, and so in 1986, I started yeah. um, and then I carried on for two years um, until the comedy looked like it might go somewhere. And yeah, then I kind of took where about were you living when you graduated and did your nursing for two years? Uh, I was living in South East London in okay. Camberwell. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. Bit of a and to Oxbridge, or wasn't sure. Oxbridge? Was it was you Brunel always at Oxbridge? There was yeah, but what happened was every six months we would move. So we would I would live in Oxbridge for six months, then I would go to the hospital to do my six months training. That was in South East London. Mm -hmm. So I would move again and move yeah. into the nurses' home. Yeah. I'm sorry that I'm backtracking now, but. Why did you move so much as a child? What did your father do that 
that he'd moved house so many times? I think actually what happened with him was because he was he wasn't very well. Yeah. Um, you know, one element of his his depression was that he kind of he really was over kind of anxious about what people thought of him. So in a lot of jobs, he would kind of lose confidence and he would think people were, were judging him badly. So it, it was basically to do with him leaving lots of different jobs. Right. To be honest. Yeah. 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 And, but your mum, she worked as well, obviously. She did. She started training as a social worker when I was about, oh Lord, I don't know, 11 or 12 maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she, she worked initially as a, as a mental health social worker and then she moved into child protection. So not but the two easiest branches of social Yeah, exactly. It's a well, tough both, job. You psychiatric nurse and her. <laughs> um, oh, come on, Karen, you know what it's like being a tough old bird. <laughs> tough old Did you have to manhandle them sometimes? Well, in the, in the psychiatric place? Yeah. God, yes, absolutely. Yeah. But the, the thing is about it, that people have kind of weird fantasies about that kind of thing. I mean, we were trained to do it. We didn't just pile on top of someone and hope for the best. <laughs> Yeah. You know, if we had to restrain someone, we would actually quite meticulously plan it mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. before we did it, you know, um, particularly so that people didn't get hurt and, um, you know, so that it was carried out with the kind of minimum of, of upset for the person, really. But it did inspire you to write uh, get it, Getting Can On. We not, oh, can we move on to that? After? I, I haven't even thought it must have inspired her to write it. That's carry on. Carry on. <laughs> Back to it once This is my favourite bit of the show so far. <laughs> us bickering about what we're talking about. Yeah, now. I hope you keep all this in, Katie. <laughs> um, so what I want to know is about when uh, you were doing your nursing and you were thinking about starting to perform. What was the kind of comedy scene like then? I mean, did you did you go and see shows? Like, how did you get involved in it? Uh, well, the comedy scene at the time was that in the early 80s, the sort of alternative comedy scene had just got going. So you had your kind of French voices, Alexi Sale, you know, Ben Elton, all that lot who mm. were performing at the comedy store. And weirdly, I never went to see any comedy. I don't <laughs> know why. I just actually wanted to do it. I didn't want to do it because I saw other people doing it. Yeah. I knew other people were doing it. And I think I was a bit worried that if I went to see it, I would be influenced too much by people that I saw. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really see anything very much until I started doing it. Mm -hmm. But, but they, they called you the sea monster at the beginning. Would no, I, call, I call myself the sea monster. And why? Did you think that would get you noticed? <laughs> 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 yeah, because I had to carry a massive great tank of water around. <laughs> it's really annoying. <laughs> I'll tell you why I did that was because I was still a nurse at the time and I was being listed in Time Out and City Limits and I, I didn't want my name in there in case someone that I work with yeah, came to see me yeah. Yeah, prematurely. And I called myself the sea monster because a certain reprobate called Malcolm Hardy, who I'm sure you'll remember, who, who I knocked around with for quite a while, his best friend just used to call me that anyway. I've got absolutely no idea why, but every time I came into a room, he would go, oh, the sea monster's here. And I just, I just thought it was like a good name. <laughs> Yeah. Do you remember your first time on stage, your first gig? Well, well ish, because I'd had seven or eight pints of lager because <laughs> I was so nervous and yeah. I was on right at the end because I did um, a benefit that a friend of mine had organised and there were like three professional comics on before me. Mm -hmm. Adol died an appalling death. <laughs> Oh, and no. really, if I was sensible, I would have just gone, oh, well, if they're professionals and they've not done very well, I should just forget it. So, yeah. But no, I staggered on at midnight. 
and just delivered my crappy one-liners. Did you do five minutes or something? How long did you do? Yeah, five minutes. Yeah, and you, but you made it through the whole five minutes? What, well, what? not really, because there were two <laughs> other comedians there who kind of I became acquainted with um, subsequently um, called um, Ian Hinchcliffe and Tony Green, who were like well-known on the circuit for being like avant-garde, out of control performers uh-huh. and as soon as I walked on the stage they started shouting can you bleep this fuck off you fat cow and they just repeated that over and over again until I did in fact fuck off Fucking <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I know well um, you were determined that's for sure so what well, the thing is like what that? helped was I was so drunk the next yeah. day I thought it had gone all right so <laughs> I think that really helped. Yeah, so you kept going, yeah. Yeah. Karen? I thought you were going to say something. I was being quiet for you, Katie. Very good. So, do you remember when you first did the Gilded Balloon? Uh, Yeah, I do. Now, I think I first did the Gilded Balloon with Kevin Day and Michael Redmond. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I know you did it with Patrick Marber and James McCubbin. I can't. Yeah. No, I did it with Kevin and Michael first. Right. And we did, we did like a really stupid show which had elements of um, Sherlock Holmes in it because I remember we did endless puns on the phrase "elementary, my dear Watson," <laughs> um, which all the kind of the critics absolutely hated. We had "lemon entry, my dear Watson," and. <laughs> Alimentary, my dear, what's we we basically did our individual acts and then we did like a couple of sketches as well. Um, t- totally unintelligible. We yeah. really enjoyed it, I mean, but we did get one review which is seared into my brain to this very day, which said, Michael Redmond is an Irishman, Kevin Day is a cheeky cockney, and Joe Brand is fat. Another oh review. my god I know. my god i know so had you been to the fringe before that was that your first experience at the fringe or had you been it's my first experience oh no i've been once before and i did the um the pleasance yeah with Ivor dembina and jim miller who karen will know very well mm-hmm. yeah indeed and yeah. what was your experience i mean what what was that like going to the fringe and being part of the fringe it was amazing I mean, I, I absolutely loved the atmosphere. Um, I did get into a couple of altercations. I didn't think they were of my own making uh, with members of the audience who heckled me. Yeah. And basically, you know, as an ex-nurse and as the kind of head of the emergency clinic, because it was always me that was wheeled out uh, to tell people, no, you can't be admitted. No, you can't have any, any drugs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be the one that got the worst abuse and, you know, as a professional nurse, obviously, you just have to grin and bear it. But as a comic, you don't have to. And you can say what you want back to them. Yeah. And so I was raring to go. Yeah. So a couple of women down the front started on me. So I just really went to town with them, you know, mm. and they really didn't like it. And one of them came and burnt me with a cigarette. <laughs> came onto the stage. Yeah, burnt me with a fag and then dropped it down the front of my T-shirt. Oh my God. Someone tried to intervene and then there was a massive punch up in the Pleasance Courtyard. It was, it was great. Well, I'm glad that was at the Pleasance. We've never had anything like that at the Pleasance. Why not? Well, well, well we have sorry, but we'll get on to late in live at some point. <laughs> yeah. Something's happened there. Um, but were, had you gone full time into comedy by the time you went to the uh, Pleasance or came up to the Fringe? I had, yeah. It must have been about 1989 that I went up and I left my job in 1988, so... And so you were getting enough gigs and you could make a living out of it? Well, yeah, because I'm quite sensible, don't tell anyone. I actually, (laughs) and this is quite hard to do, I saved some money from my nursing um, days to sort of see me through the first few months in case Mm -hmm. it was hard work and then... I just started earning enough to get by, really. But also in 88, 89, in London, there was a huge amount of clubs. I mean, you could do two or three gigs a night. I mean, right through to the mid-90s, really, or maybe the 90s, and then they started falling away. But there was loads of clubs. Yeah, there were absolutely... There's probably about 200 clubs in London, I would have said. You know, again, and you could. You could do 
three gigs a night, you could do five. I think my, the most I did was five maybe, but. <laughs> and I think like now people still do that, but they get paid so little for it. You know, so many people. But they didn't struggle. get paid loads. No, I, I mean, know, but there was less comedians, so more gigs. Yeah, well, I think we got more than people do today, probably, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Also, there seem to be like really weird arrangements today because my best friend's son has had a go at stand up and he said things like, you can get a five minute guest spot if you drive all the other comedians <laughs> to the gig and back. And I was like, what a yeah. con that is. I know, yeah. exactly. Sorry, yeah. I don't want to, to dish the dirt on the comedy store, but the comedy store, if you don't do all these free gigs for them, you don't get in and actually it's nearly impossible for new performers to get into the comedy store yeah well, that's, so they've got you by the bollocks they can do what they want yeah that's right yeah. That as well. although things may have changed now of <laughs> course did you love it did you love doing comp like did you love doing five gigs a night did you love being part of the comedy circuit what how was it I absolutely loved it, yeah. And I have to say that, you know, um, people sort of from time to time made, you know, um, something about the sort of male-female divide, you know, that the male comics didn't like the female comics and they looked down on them. That just simply wasn't true at all. You know, we all got on really well with each other. We all had to laugh. Everyone was kind of very supportive. Mm -hmm. uh, especially at the comedy store and at Jonglers, um, you know, it was like being under siege in the dressing room because we knew how drunk and horrible they were. Yeah. And so, you know, you would send the compare out like an advance party going to the trenches, out of the yeah. trenches, and they would come back and report and go, oh, you know, they're terrible out there or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was really nice, lovely. Well, yeah. Jonglers had the reputation of, of being where the stag and Hindus were and everything, weren't they? Oh, huge. I mean, I, my, I actually only worked there once because um, I was on stage and in the on the table in front of me, there was a table full of, of very pissed dentists, would you believe? And one of them got on the table, unzipped his flies, um, got his cock out and went, suck my cock, you fucking bitch. Well, didn't so much say it, just shouted it at the top yeah. of his voice. <laughs> Um, oh my so God. I said, you know, I am prepared to deal with hecklers, but I'm not prepared to deal with that. And I walked off and um, I got oh, told yeah. off by the promoter for coming off. How dare off they tell you off? Early. My God. Um, How dare they tell you off? Well, I know, but I, I never worked there again after that. So swings and roundabouts, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. <Never clout. laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it wasn't the best, but they had their favourites, didn't they? That was the thing. You know, oh, very and, much so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so can you remember anything, well, can you remember meeting Karen in the 90s? And oh, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any memories of that time in, at the Gilded Balloon in the 90s with, and meeting Karen? Well, I, I, think, I think the thing about Karen is that um, most people at the Gilded Balloon were absolutely shit scared of her, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so that's kind of why why it worked, you know, because people that were employed at the Guilty Balloon they did their job very well, and mm. um, you know, Karen was um, just like a—I don't mean huge in a physical way, but she was just like over the whole thing like a colossus, really. Yeah. You know, I think the Guilty Balloon was Karen Corran, and Karen Corran was the Guilty Balloon. Yeah, and. Yeah. It was just a delight to have kind of a sort of ballsy woman in charge of somewhere rather yeah. than rather than with all the other clubs, which were pretty much run by guys. So sure. I really loved it there. And yeah. late in live, my approach to that, because that started at one o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. and it was mainly English comics versus a Scottish audience. <laughs> recipe for disaster. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> My approach was to try and get as drunk as the audience. <laughs> so I would like be on their level. And yeah. even if it didn't go very well, I didn't care because I was so drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what, and what Karen's described about Late in Live as well is the kind of camaraderie behind with the, all the acts of watching each other on stage and like, you know. What, oh, really? That was really, really strong. You know, yeah. it, was like, it was like the comedy store times a hundred. Because yeah. 
you know, someone in that dressing room knew they were going to get it big time. <laughs> Nobody knew who it was going to be. Yeah. So, um, you know, other people were really supportive to one another. And I, I think people kind of got to the stage with Late and Live that, it, you know, they didn't blame themselves for it going wrong because yeah. it, it was like a club in London called The Tunnel where the audience would just randomly pick on a comic for no reason <laughs> other than they just randomly felt like it. Yeah. And so you, you could never blame yourself because you didn't know why they'd done it really. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, do you, Karen, or I'll put it out to both of you, do you have any stories from Late in Live in particular or of <laughs> each other that you remember that depict what it was like? I mean, I'm jealous that I wasn't there. I wish, I would love to have been part of it. It sounds incredible. Well, I remember Ian Cognito getting sort of knocked out by Ricky Grover. Do you remember that? Karen? Yeah, Ricky. Well, he he insulted Ricky's wife, didn't That's he? That's right. <laughs> this was like the first or second day of the festival, and he just went to town on him in the bar. And well, they, uh, like fisticuffs. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, no, well, I don't know if you've seen Ricky, but he's very scary and he's oh. very tough. Uh -huh. His two his two jobs in the past were hairdresser and bank robber. So um, <laughs> <laughs> if you think of someone, <laughs> someone like that, um, he you know he just he had fists the size of other people's heads. Mm -hmm. So he didn't need to do very much. And yeah. Ian Cognito Coggers, he used to really take chances with people. Yeah. It was almost as though he wanted to get his head kicked in, wasn't it? He used to say really controversial things mm -hmm. to people that were, could obviously damage him really severely <laughs> and he never learned and so he said this and I don't know what else he expected but anyway yeah and yeah I think he was knocked out and he had to he left the festival and went back to oh my god I know, I, know. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember that quite um but then there was people like Arthur Smith and Malcolm Hardy and them doing well not only did they do the balloon gag but they did they did stuff with um uh rubbish bags you know stripping down to but of course um malcolm hardy would take his cock out and stir his beer with it and then drink <laughs> it you know well, the two things about Malcolm Hardy that I love is, first of all, he would get his cock out, put a pair of glasses on it, and it looks like General de Gaulle. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> really like him as well. And there was one night as well when he saw a critic in the audience who'd really slagged him off. And so unbeknownst to this critic, he just said to him, well, can you come and help me with a, tr with a trick? And the critic came out, and Malcolm got a plank of wood and said to him, can you just hold that? So this critic got hold of the blank of wood and Malcolm kicked him in the bollocks. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that was in one of the Gilded Balloon venues. Yeah, That's well, also, um, Chris, Chris Lynham used to do this uh, firework up his bottom. Yes. Um, that was his, his um, you know... Finale. Finale piece. And yeah. I can't remember the music he played to it. I think it was a wonderful... It's the one anyway, um, but Mal but he couldn't do it this time, and Malcolm Hardy was going to do it, and he did it, and of course he has the biggest balls in show business or whatever he had the reputation of. They weren't and biggest; they were the longest. The longest, that's right. <laughs> Went down to his knees. Anyway, he <laughs> burnt oh them god. with this, and he was carried off to hospital. Oh my god! Because he burnt his balls. You have memories of Joe at. Late and live, right at the Gilda Balloon, Karen. What are your memories of? Oh yeah, well, I always remember us sitting in a corner smoking. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I go on at you about smoking, but uh, I smoked right up until like, my early forties. So you know, and uh, because I used to go into the into the um, dressing room and say to everyone, "This is not a drugs shop." Okay. <laughs> 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 And they would we also oh, yeah. well, used that. to go, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also remember there was a massive queue for A&E from a lot of the London comics who'd slightly overindulged on the white powder. And yeah. The, the thing is, 
I hardly ever saw any of the drugs. I do remember Sean Hughes sitting at the back of the, in the balcony at Leighton Live smoking um, dope. And I said, you can't do that. But other than that, I hardly ever saw it. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was. Were you blindfolded? <laughs> no, I think he's the only one that didn't see it. <laughs> well, I didn't look for it. I wasn't no. interested, you know. No. I was just busy shouting at everyone and holding the doors to stop people getting through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I remember particularly when um, Bill Bailey's band, uh, Beer Got 100, 100 oh, they yeah. would warm up and they'd take forever and the whole of the foyer was absolutely jam-packed with people waiting to get in and they were and I would I would stand in the in the, the theatre and say well you just hurry up come on oh, no. and then you open the doors and they were flattened yeah. by them but so, that's when all the the comics could go into the bar and just take it easy and and open the door and see who was on and then if it was someone they wanted to give them a hard time they'd all go in and start heckling <laughs> yeah yeah so do you think joe that the fringe how did the fringe affect your career do you think it launched your career to take you to the next level or was it just from plowing you know plowing away at gigs and doing the circuit and well what? i think it, i think it had an effect because i got nominated for that award they it was called the perrier award yeah. then um, and so obviously, and then kind of, in fact, it was the year that Steve Coogan and John Thompson uh, well, won. They won that at the Gilded Balloon. Oh, did they? <laughs> well, the thing was, like five years later, no one can remember who won it, you know. <laughs> yeah. A few people have said to me, oh, you won the Perry Award, didn't you? And I went, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think Eddie Izzard actually turned down the nomination because he was too good for that or something similar. Oh, really? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, I mean, so I, I think it did, it kind of gets you noticed because there's so many TV people mm -hmm. up there that I think, you know, that they do, they're, they're, they're sort of looking for, for who to put in a series, you know, so it made a big difference. Yeah, I kind of got to the problem was The problem was that there wasn't enough women. I mean, you were nominated and you should have won, but, and then Jenny Eclair eventually won, but... Honestly, there's only really been four women so far winning well, these awards, or maybe yeah. five. Yeah, it's probably more who, now. Who but... else were there? Bridget Christie, she won it, didn't she? Yeah, Rose Lauren Solon. Rose Matafeo won it two years ago. Oh, yeah. that's, that's right. That's and right. that's it. And well, Hannah Gadsby part won it, which was... Oh, yes, of course she did, yeah. But, <laughs> but still, it's not, it's not, not enough. enough. Yeah. yeah. It really isn't, you know. And it's you were a pure leader. It's got better, yeah, of course. Um, but tell us, Karen, why don't you ask your delightful question that you wanted to ask earlier about the TV show that Joe Brand wrote? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> God, she's beating me now. <laughs> um, getting on was, I, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. And you were particularly hilarious. And actually, um, Grover, what's his name? Ricky Grover. Ricky Grover was in it as well, wasn't he? He was, he was. Um, and it was directed by Peter Capaldi, which was... Um, oh, yeah, oh. an interesting uh, thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it was kind of an interesting show because Vicky and Joe were both actors, you know. Um, Vicky did some comedy, um, she, but Joe... I remember she was in a double act. Vicky. Yeah, that's right. Pepperdine. Um, Pepperdine. Pepperdine. Apidine, yeah, I can't remember at the moment what they were called, but um, so they had they kind of put a lot into that. There was kind of quite actory bits in it that I obviously hated because I don't like all that. Oh, darling, I'm a tree business, you know. <laughs> and then again, they, they didn't like all my bit, which is like like sort of just taking the piss really or walking across doing one liners. So mm. it, it kind of made for an interesting mix, I think. And but it, I think was, it, it was sort of photographed a bit. Docu documentary type as well as the act you know it was wasn't it I mean it, it was and real. also we improvised loads of it as well so we would do a run through um which with with the script and then we would just do two or three versions where we just did what we wanted and I think that gave it like a very natural feel yeah yeah that's, had, had, before then had you written anything else had you always wanted to write 
Uh, what had I done before that? I did, um, I did two series of my own show, which was like yeah, sketches. Uh, yeah, through the K-Cole. <laughs> I mean, that was like really, really good fun to do. I love doing that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but uh, yeah, this was the first proper thing. And I have to say, you know, Vicky and, and Joe and I wrote equally. So, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just me. And I think the combination sort of worked pretty well. But uh, I don't really like writing, if I'm honest. Yeah, that's well, like a lot of pressure, isn't it? It is a lot of pressure. I think if you do it on your own, it's quite lonely and you, mm -hmm. you lose any sense of reality. So I always try and write with someone that I really get on well with. And then basically, it's like French and Saunders always used to say, the first two hours when they met up, they just gossiped about people they didn't like. Yeah. And so I've done quite a lot of writing with Morwenna Banks and we do exactly the same. We just yeah. she's great. Yeah, she's brilliant. We go like have lunch for two hours, then work for about 20 minutes and go home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the going forward uh, didn't last. Why not? Why why were they well, they didn't recommission it. I'd, I've no idea why, to be honest. Yeah, uh, yeah. At the time, it was, I had sort of stuff going on and I, it just kind of passed me by the, the issues with it. But I, I think the problem is once you've been in the business a while, you have to do something so stunning to make them recommission stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it has to be either so well-received critically or, or get viewing figures. And I think... Um, you, you know, they just had loads of other people champing at the bit, wanting um, to it do wasn't, theories. It wasn't, there was something you were doing with Alan Davis. Yeah, we did a thing called Damned. We did two series of that. That was about social workers. Mm -hmm. and and that, I mean, that did, that did really well. And I don't know why they didn't recommission that. I have my suspicions, but I'm not prepared to voice them here yeah. because someone might kill me. <laughs> 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 and we might get killed too, so. <laughs> yeah. But what, what, for, what for the future then for, for um, is it always television? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I, the, uh, what's his name? What was that critic called who used to, I think he wrote in the Times and he, he used to slag a lot of people off really badly. He had two initials, A, A, L something. I'll think of it in a minute anyway. Yeah. He, he wrote a review of me and everybody actually hated him. And it, it basically, the review said, Joe Brand just does any old shit that's going right. And actually that was much nearer than the truth. I think pe than, than people would imagine because I think people thought I was offended by that. But actually mm -hmm. I wasn't because <clears throat> with me, I never had a career plan and I never had an idea of where I wanted to be in five years time. Mm -hmm. As and when stuff came along, if I was up for it, I'd say yes. And if I wasn't, I'd say no, you know. And I had children and I wanted to kind of stay at home with the kids. I didn't want to go. Like I was offered some amazing things. At one point, Channel 4 wanted me to go down down um, a river in Africa dressed up as a Victorian explorer. <laughs> of course. <laughs> And that kind of quite appealed to me, but that would have been six weeks away from home. And I just didn't want to do it really. So yeah. my career to some extent was guided by what's easy, what pays quite well and what's near home. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong yeah. with that. I think particularly for women, if you want to combine, um, you know, kids with a career, you, you have to, you have to sacrifice things on both both bits of it, really. You yeah. know. Yeah. And how um, do you um, how do you compare working with the TV work that you do uh, against live comedy? How it used to be just doing the circuit gigs and stuff. Do you prefer? Do you miss live work, or what? What? How do you feel? Um, yeah, I just did a tour which finished yeah. about two weeks before this. The oh, COVID very good timing. Thing. Yeah, it was brilliant timing. <laughs> And I got paid for it as well. I was so relieved. Oh, great. <laughs> um, but I did a small tour trying out new stuff. And I really, I hadn't toured for, well, Karen actually knows this. I hadn't toured since 2016 because um, my, my, no, 2015 actually, because my little brother died in 2015. And 
when I came up to Edinburgh to do a couple of dates at the Gilded Balloon for the yeah. anniversary, yeah. my brother was really seriously ill and he died about three weeks later when I was on tour. Mm. And um, just that happening just kind of put me off touring for years actually, yeah. um, because I just had to stay on the tour and do kind of automatic pilot for, for what seemed like months and it, it was awful really. Yeah. And so actually finally getting back and doing a tour um, at the beginning of this year, was great and for some reason the gods have thought oh well well she's done that right we're gonna make well it the thing is um <laughs> the day of the stadium uh gigs are over you you will and you never really did the stadium gigs i've never done a stadium gig in my life karen apart <laughs> from the ones for like at the o2 for you know big benefits with yeah with other people so well, this uh, is going to put paid to these guys that have done big stadium gigs and made millions and now what are they going to do <laughs> well at least they've got a bit of money in the bank we don't yeah. get to worry about that right. exactly. i just want to touch on your politics because you are very strong labor and um you you are you are political you're not you don't just sit and let the world go by um do you do you voice them? Do you want to do anything from that? Because it's all been very difficult, hasn't it, in the past year or two? For me? No, not for you. For well, it has it? Well, actually, it was very difficult for me last year when I when I. Oh, yeah, I didn't want I, to mention yeah, that. Yeah, well, we, we, I, I, let's say I did a kind of tasteless joke and I got absolutely crucified uh, oh. for it. I can understand why in many ways in the tabloids and that, that was like very hard. So that's kind of like put me off a bit because I am a bit gobby and I do tend to kind of say something before I really think about what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And, um, but and if I'm, anyone knows you, they know that what you said was a joke. Well, we <laughs> oh, I know, I know. The whole community was 100% behind you, so it was just horrific. Oh, well, well, yes, thank you. And I, I just feel, you, you know, the people who, who sort of, um, you know, uh, steered it towards the tabloids were kind of being disingenuous because they knew yeah. that I'd apologise yeah. at the time and that I didn't mean it. And I said it was a joke and I knew it was anyway, all that. But yeah. anyway, yeah. Um, so, um, <clears throat> but I just do have to kind of be a bit careful because I do think there's something you know, about women who are a bit gobby and express left-wing views, which mm -hmm. makes them yeah. sort of fair game for certain newspapers, so. But that's it, just been since you've been on TV. Before that, you know, have you, would you see yourself as an activist or anything like that back, back in the day? Were you quite well, vocal it, about it? No, I've never been active at anything, to be honest with you. <laughs> I've always been a, I've, I have been on marches and that, you know, when I was a nurse. So yes, I would say I have been an activist in the past, you know. Mm. Um, and I think what, what happens when people recognize you is it just introduces a whole new element into being in a big crowd of people, which mm. can be a bit difficult to manage sometimes, especially yeah. if people have been drinking. So that sort of kind of put me off doing like big, you know, public, things where crowds are but um yes yeah, certainly i feel very strongly about um elements of politics still really strongly so yeah i just have to try and temper my expressions <laughs> about well i don't think you see anything wrong but there we go um so what do you think Can you tell andrew neil and people like that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um what do you think uh, of this whole COVID pandemic thing and live entertainment? What on earth is going to happen? Well, I, I think the honest truth is that none of, none of us knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, you have the kind of optimistic people who say within a year there will definitely be a vaccine and it will be back to normal. And then you have the pessimists who I've heard saying it'll be five to eight years before it's back yeah. to normal. So I think the thing is at the moment, we just have to be prepared for both. And I think, you know, if you, if you look at history, people are adaptable because they have to be, you know, if you say to people, would you rather 
um, go and see a comedy gig or, or, or risk, you know, one of your relatives losing their life. And no one's going to say, oh, I'll go to the comedy and take the risk, are they? Yeah. So people just have to, unfortunately, suck it up. And I think there are other ways of doing it. I mean, I think sort of exploring for example the drive-in thing that they used to do in the 50s in america yeah or you know um i i think there's plenty of scope for people to come up with ways of going to a live gig which is sort of almost a hundred percent safe and we right. just yeah. have to wait and see them do that but i think like you're saying karen massive kind of gatherings like like festivals Mm -hmm. and that where people are going to get quite drunk anyway and you might not be able to trust them to be safety conscious are probably mm -hmm. going to be off the menu at least for a bit i would have thought yeah the thing uh, is, are you karen can i do mine oh we're fighting though <laughs> <Are you>? that. <laughs> um, are you working joe are you doing any tv stuff from from lockdown have you been doing much or are you just I have I've, I've been doing quite a bit of stuff for example yesterday I did um, Paul Merton's Channel 5 show um, mm -hmm. about comedians that he admires and yeah. uh, I've done Have I Got News For You I did Romish's Rang Ranga Nation yeah. um, show so I've been doing a fair bit and um, in a very first world sort of way it's quite stressful mm -hmm. because you have to do everything at home like yesterday for Paul's show I got sent a camera in a bag and I'm like, <laughs> what the heck do I do with this yeah, and yeah. there was like a very sort of complicated video tutorial <laughs> yeah yeah I was there for hours <laughs> what do they mean you know <laughs> So from that point of view, I can always get a job as a techie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Comedy work. All these new skills that you've learned. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but again, you know, I mean, I'm quite an old bat now, but I still think we all have to adapt the best we can, really. And if you yeah. look, for example, at Have I Got News For You, the first couple of shows, I think, were like a bit shaky. Mm -hmm. As time's gone on, they've found out ways to kind of make it a bit sharper and yeah. easier to watch. So I just think that, that all that stuff will get better, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you do QI, and you do most of them, don't you? I do, yeah, yeah. You host QI sometimes, no? No, I host Have I Got News. Yeah. 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 And do you enjoy that? Oh, I love doing that, yes. Mm. I go all matronly, like I used to <laughs> when I was a nurse. <laughs> Boy, be quiet. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really good fun. Um, any other little stories from the old Gilded Balloon? <laughs> well, know. one thing that really sticks in my mind, and it wasn't actually in the Gilded Balloon, but it was just where we lived, which was we'd been to the Gilded Balloon and we had a party in our flats one night. And there was a guy living underneath us who worked on a building site. And every night he used to leave his boots, his working boots outside his front door. And we had a party and someone going home from the party stole his boots mm -hmm. uh, when they were going home. And I thought that was an absolutely appalling thing to do, to steal yeah. the boots of someone who can't afford to buy a new pair. And obviously it, you know, is like a working man. So anyway, like the next, afternoon about five o'clock he, he comes round to our flat and oh my god he threatened us with everything right um and said oh you know i'll fucking kill you if you don't if you don't get my boots back to me he was terrifying yeah. but at the same time i felt sorry for him mm -hmm. so in the end i just stuffed a load of cash through <laughs> his letterbox in an envelope because oh, i have no idea who knits them but i just couldn't bear the thought that he he wouldn't be able to afford a new pair of boots, you know. Yeah. Probably Ian Cognito, let's be so. And <laughs> yes, Ian may well have been. We, we, kind of, we never found out, but you yeah, know. He's not alive to defend himself. <laughs> no, absolutely. But all your I also remember doing my, my first show at the assembly rooms. And the problem with that was you had to get backstage before the audience came in because mm -hmm. you couldn't walk onto the stage once you know yeah once they were in 
and so there was no toilet um, and so like you were waiting backstage and there'd been loads of other shows on as well so obviously there were loads of different receptacles with everyone's piss in them backstage oh my God. delightful so I joined in and did mine in a Volvic bottle <laughs> That is so such a fringe story about the whole backstage area. Like, well, I've, I'm sure I've told you. I've told you the Johnny Vegas one, have I? Do tell Johnny <laughs> Vegas. It was 1997, the year of his um, pottery show, and oh, that's yeah. when he became really big. And backstage at the Gilded Balloon Studio, there was no toilet, and. I didn't know this, and I only found out. In fact, it was Stuart Lee that told me that he had con that Johnny had confessed that he needed a dump, and there was a Pringles, <laughs> a Pringles tube, and he <laughs> sat in the Pringles tube. Before he went. And left it backstage. And oh left it backstage. Oh my! Oh God. the joy! Well, you know, this is, this is all happening around on the beaches of Britain at the yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah, that's all true. All the toilets are closed, so... Oh, really? Is that... Yeah. And you can't go in, and it's the same when you go to somebody's garden, you can't go into their house to go to the toilet, so everyone's just peeing in gardens and all sorts. It's just here. lovely. I will say, I've bought a very lovely thing, which is like a sort of bottle that you get in hospitals, mm -hmm. and it's got a kind of, like, funnel which, which sort of fans out to fit a lady's area. <laughs> and you can you can take it in the car with you because oh, I have comics that have been that have been in traffic jams and have just had to piss themselves because they're so desperate for the yeah. loop. Is that they're not what they all had at Glastonbury? Yes, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Well, moving on. Yeah, I've so much about you, Joe. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you have two absolutely beautiful girls, and the question I'd like to ask is did you get any life lessons from your mother that you have passed on to your girls? I think no, I, I don't think, I, I think what you do with your parent is that you do the opposite of what they did. Mm -hmm. And so for example, um, my parents would like, they always kind of made the assumption that we were kind of seven years old, even when we were 15 or 16, and they would never really tell us what was going on with their relationship. So yeah. they didn't really even tell us that they were splitting up. Um, so we didn't know anything. And I actually think that's a terrible way to treat, particularly teenagers. Uh -huh. So um, not necessarily because we're not splitting up, me and Bern, obviously much as I want to. <laughs> we, we, you know, I tell them the truth about things. I think it's really important that you discuss things. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember when my mum first left i don't think she even said anything and we came home and she wasn't there and well, where is she oh she's gone well mm -hmm. how long for don't know you know yeah. so yeah. Um, all that sort of thing that and I, awesome. I i also think you should trust kids as well and if you trust them you know like a lot of people said to me oh have you got have you um sort of looked do you look on their phones and do you do you read what their messages and all that sort of thing. I think as soon as a parent, as you start doing that, um, your kids can move away from you. Yeah. And so I would just say to them, you know, I don't think it's wise to do A, B and C. And, and if you want to talk about it, fine. Mm -hmm. And they never did want to, but I think they were just very sensible about it. Mm -hmm. I've yeah. said that now. They're probably both on porn channels. <laughs> you know, that's the way I did it. They are. They are. They, you wouldn't have had any porn channels when you were a teenager. No, no that is true. We just had top shelf magazines. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Um, but your two girls are very sensible, I think, and uh, very clever and very beautiful. And one of them is singing, isn't she? She is, indeed. And with no help from her mother whatsoever. Oh, God, no. <laughs> not, not so, no, she doesn't get that from me. Well, because I can't <laughs> sing at all, basically. Yeah. No, but I think it's absolutely amazing that uh, Maisie has, has taken it upon herself to to start singing. She's got a beautiful voice, hasn't she? She has. So they both got beautiful voices and they both love singing and I'm very jealous of them. <laughs> and I'm trying to ruin their lives, but it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> trying your best. 
as in <laughs> yeah well that's... how about um how about you katie have you got any advice for karen <laughs> oh god yeah i don't know i do treat her like uh, she's my daughter a lot which i think i t i was taught by her so <laughs> it's all swings it's all going uh can i just say that uh joe that that when your daughter starts holding you under your elbow to get you downstairs that's when you start getting worried you think oh for god's sake i'm not that old i'll um, hold your elbow whenever you need it mum having said that we were walking up um frederick street one day and she was holding my elbow and i tripped and fell flat <laughs> <laughs> Collapsed. Well, <laughs> no use, basically, is what she's saying. Whether I hold her elbow or not, she's still <laughs> flailing about. Um, but at least you've got two daughters, so you can get one on each elbow. <laughs> indeed, indeed. You know, they're getting me sectioned as soon as they get a chance. I'm sure. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Uh, Katie's not allowed to put me in a home, so no, no. no. So we've had the yeah. discussion. Apparently, blend <laughs> up. And she'll end up having to stay here with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you so yeah. much, Joe, for joining yeah. us. It's been an absolute joy. Uh, Joe, no, me too. Keep, on, to you. keep on doing what you're doing. Yeah. Um, stay on while I finish the recording. Um, <laughs> uh, that was cut out. Um, please stay, stay. <laughs> shut up, Karen. <laughs> Stay doing what you're doing. You do it so well. And yes, the British people absolutely love you. So, yeah. as do we. Ah, oh, thank as you very much. Of course, very, very much. <laughs>